Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. My guest today is a seasoned transformational leader that has delivered many high-profile, high-demanding change programmes within the transport sector. This is a continuation of our series on the effects of the pandemic on the leisure, tourism and travel industry. My guest will provide great insights as he has worked at sea level for one of the biggest airports in the world. But before we get into that, here's a message from our sponsors. Encordia Consulting is a leading UK consultancy specialising in business and digital transformation and the design and delivery of business process automation systems. Get in touch with us at hello at encordiaconsulting.com or visit us at www.encordiaconsulting.com. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Peter Kent has had many senior roles to include interim CIO for Heathrow Airport. He has spent over 10 years working in various roles within the organisation to include Transformation Director, Brexit Director, Programme Director, and has led some of the airport's biggest transformations. For example, he led the successful IT programme delivery of the £3 billion Terminal 2 programme. He has worked in other organisations in leadership positions to include Network Rail and Rail Track, where he led the £2 billion plus signalling and systems programme. Very much a hands-on leader that leads from the front, Peter has been described by his peers as a consummate professional, exemplary communication skills, and as a calm in demeanour. Quite um, a useful trait, especially in some of the political wranglings one gets into when delivering complex, large, sensitive even, change programmes. The data I have on Peter, he's clearly a highly respected head, and we're quite lucky to have him here on Heads Talk today. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Peter to Heads Talk. Delighted to have you here today. I was so blown away by your introduction, Elaine. <laughs> um, let's get into the questions. Um, this part, this, is a, uh, this part is a, a series of interviews, as I mentioned before, um, episodes that will concentrate on the um, current situation um, as a result of the pandemic in the leisure tourism travel and transportation sector. I want my listeners to gain um, insights into Heathrow before the pandemic hit and um, your thoughts as the world effectively went into lockdown. Okay, uh, the first question is about the pandemic outbreak. What were your thoughts as this broke and then um, we all started to see the enormity of it. What were the conversations you were having with your team and uh, the the people around you, um, especially as this situation got from bad to worse? Well, I mean, this is completely unprecedented. Uh, and if you were to, to picture this, um, at that time when COVID was um, uh, an ever-increasing threat, uh, Heathrow and aviation as a sector was in a very buoyant place. And in fact, Heathrow had very advanced plans for the expansion of the business and the growth into the third runway. And here we are 12 months later, 13 months later, and that double-digit expansion of the airport the £14 billion investment uh, has been largely put on the back burner. And you're now seeing people coming through the airport uh, in a trickle. I think the, mm. the, uh, the footfall is around 20%, 15 to 20% of what you'd normally expect. Mm. Um, so the reversal is, is quite, quite profound. And the key questions were really, well, firstly, how do you actually protect people in safety? Mm-hmm. Um, the airport has the international boundary going all the way through it, the airside landside boundary Mm -hmm. and the most important thing is to make sure that those people who are still continuing to travel and the goods the products 
um, that are necessary for, uh, for businesses in the economy can continue to do so as safely as they possibly can. Mm. Um, everything that you would see at an airport, you know, on the air side part of the airport has to go through comprehensive security and safety checks, mm -hmm. uh, be that the goods that you buy at the shops, the coffees, your cakes, your watches, uh, right the way through to the maintenance teams, the ancillary staff, air crew, security, everybody has to go through uh, a level of security screening. So when uh, a disease or a pandemic like COVID strikes, and the best advice that's given is, well, keep some social distance and separation. How can you sensibly give confidence to the security teams who are managing that critical interface to make sure that they're equipped and they're skilled and they're confident uh, to do their role? And um, you need those teams to be 100% confident so they can be 100% effective. Mm -hmm. And as passengers and as the traveling public, uh, that's the minimum that we would expect. So priority number one is the safety and security and the well-being uh, of passengers and our security staff at, at every stage. And, and you talked about the various roles. And as mentioned in the introduction, you have had um, a few roles at Heathrow. And one in particular was the interim chief information officer. The next set of questions will cover the various roles you've had within Heathrow. Um, mm -hmm. Your most recent role um, was the transformation director. So please mm -hmm. ask the following questions wearing the different hats. Um, explain to my listeners, um, and I think you introduced us to it when you talked about the sort of the 14 billion expansion plan that's been put on hold. Explain to my listeners, what is the Heathrow's airport transformation strategy? Well, the, uh, the business has had um, in my time, the 10 years or so, as you mentioned at Heathrow, uh, it's great to see that the airport has been on a significant journey. I think 10 years ago, it was amongst the bottom 10 global airports. Mm -hmm. And 10 years later, it's among the top 10 of global airports. Mm -hmm. And the underpinning strategies behind that have principally been around uh, talent development, uh, really developing the, the cadre and pool of skill and capability in the organisation, mm -hmm. and a very strong focus on sustainability and sustainability leadership. Mm -hmm. um, with our communities and environments. And that really has propelled us um, with good investment in our facilities and, uh, and assets. But mm -hmm. that's really propelled the business into a different sphere. Um, but as you mentioned a moment ago, um, as well as that, we've been looking at increasing capacity as a nation in the southeast of England. Mm -hmm. And five years uh, ago, I think it was maybe six, um, it was determined that Heathrow would be uh, the location where that growth in southeast capacity would take place. And since that time, um, plans, thoughts, uh, designs, significant engagement with governments and uh, local communities has taken place to really take some shape around the third runway expansion program. So really at the point when COVID um, really struck, we had a, a vision of a decade of delivery. Mm -hmm. um, during those 10 years, we would be uh, replanning and remapping air corridors into and out of Heathrow uh, to accommodate the third runway. Mm -hmm. uh, the significant construction plans and programs um, around the community and doing that very sensitively, and then bringing that new infra uh, infrastructure into operational reality. So um, 
it would be a huge decade of delivery. And we were really gearing up for that growth. We were getting ourselves organizationally, culturally, financially, mm-hmm. managerially robust to take on that level of, um, of challenge in the construction and the operational phase. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's the mindset that, um, that we were in. It was looking forward mm-hmm. um, excitedly, yet embracing the, uh, a new challenge, mm-hmm. um, very aware of the uh, difficult and sensitive balances that would need to be struck mm-hmm. in making such a significant investment in such a congested uh, part of the country. Mm. Um, and then uh, and then COVID struck uh, as well as Brexit let's not forget Mm. Um, and there was an environmental um, query around uh, the design of the expansion scheme which was subsequently Mm -hmm. addressed but um, all of that um, significantly uh, impacted on where we were. And I'm assuming in as part of this sort of a decade of delivery plan there would be an element of digitalization or digitalization will underpin a lot of that stuff in there. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Has the parallel digitalization transformation drive across the globe helped Heathrow with the management of the business during the pandemic? It's really difficult to say. Um, I mean, the key key areas uh, as an industry we've been working to deliver for a number of years have been um, open standards uh, to enable just smoother and quicker interoperability between airports uh, so passengers and freight can move just more efficiently from country to country mm-hmm. and as you might imagine as you're deriving international standards that's that's a long old process and it's a significant process then to implement mm-hmm. um, and that will continue in the background um, what we were beginning to witness was a, a ramp up of um, passenger facing products and also operational automation. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a good examples of um, you know, baggage systems increasingly uh, automating the packing of uh, bags of the planes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can begin to see what they call underwing operationalization of mm-hmm. uh, automated services. Mm-hmm. And this would significantly improve the resilience and the consistency of the um, of the uh, the passengers' product. Um, but you know, once uh, the pandemic hit, huge uncertainty um, struck um, operational and capital plans. And as you absolutely focus on your core product and the security and safety of the, um, mm-hmm. of your staff and passengers. Um, you know, capital spend and certainly more, more adventurous spend certainly takes a back seat. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we're witnessing, having said all of that, is that many trends of um, that were anticipated in four or five years' time have hugely mm-hmm. been brought forward. Yes. So what we're seeing is a um, not only in aviation but in other sectors a real ramping up of home working digital tools. Uh, we're seeing different ways of working, uh, agile management, mm-hmm. um, and all of that um, really puts further sort of opportunities and challenges on the uh, the transport and aviation sector itself. Mm-hmm. And and sort of s- s- sticking with that theme, um, the, the the focus on da- data and data management was well underway long before the the pandemic. 
Um, mm. So for my listeners, can you, can you explain your understanding of how data management has changed during this period, if at all, in terms of, um, for example, like customer information, the provision of the information, the use of um, the data, when I mean, you talked about the agile management, but sort of quick agile decision makers, how has that changed because of the pandemic, would you say? I, I don't really think it has. Oh. Uh, if you would imagine that you know, you're looking at a business that, um, you know, within 12 months uh, was looking to expand rapidly and significantly, mm-hmm. and now only has 20% of the footfall, uh, your priorities significantly change. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do we actually make the most of the facilities that we have? How do we support the people who are continuing to travel and travel safely? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we equip them in a way that they can travel with confidence? Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are the key priorities. Uh, so more future-focused um, plans and strategies simply just have to pause at this particular moment. Just as, just as a sign, because it just popped into my head, um, were, I don't know, apps in progress? Were they sort of pushed out quite quickly as a result of that? Because everyone was now mobile and now digitally working and based. Were things sort of rushed through as a result of that? Uh, there was certainly some work um, that our innovation team um, invested in, uh, really trying to help uh, track and trace mm-hmm. uh, and the NHS. Yes. And many of the facilities that we had at Heathrow, uh, in fact, the main corporate office, um, was set aside to provide uh, vaccination centres and hubs, Mm -hmm. as well as testing facilities. Um, But if you imagine, you know, that was the principal priority. How do we make sure that we can help passengers transfer through the airport safely and securely uh, and work with our um, communities? Mm -hmm. So uh, in terms of rushing apps apps through, um, uh, no other than the, the absolute imperative of how can we uh, keep people safe and secure. And uh, not a lot was, uh, was done on top of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, that's interesting. Um, let's look at airports in general. Um, mm. we're, we're looking at lockdown and anyone that's been in an airport will get a sense of the operations there. You, you talked about it, the retail outlets, the staffing, both mm. services and passengers and the maintenance of the airports, medical services, and security operations, technical team, et cetera, et cetera. What government relief has been offered and has it helped? Well, if I did a, a, a you know, I think the, um, the chief executive uh, has spoken um, at the select committee and elsewhere quite publicly mm-hmm. about the, the very stark difference between the engagements that the UK government has had with UK airports and European governments seem to have with their airports. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the strong sense that I pick up from that is that uh, UK airports um, and aviation generally have largely been left to, to work it out for themselves, mm. whilst there's been a high level of engagement and dialogue with European airports. Uh, and when you look at some of the headline numbers of state aid and relief, whilst it is beneficial to have the furloughing scheme, um, there is a limited level of uh, rate support that um, the government will provide um, to airports and facilities. And that is starkly in contrast to the multi-billion pound um, subsidies and bailouts, for want of another another expression, that you see some states providing their state carriers. Mm. I think quite recently, I think I saw... um, was it Air France, I think, got you know, four or five billion pounds worth of euro support. I think TAP 
from Portugal is in the same space. Um, and that type of financial provision simply isn't made available um, to, uh, to the UK aviation industry. If you think prior to COVID, of course, we had um, the unfortunate demise of Fly B, mm -hmm. which provides sort of local um, inter-regional air operations within the UK and within some smaller airports within Europe, um, which, uh, which went to the wall mm -hmm. uh, with a lot of um, significant uh, anxiety and community issues is associated with that. Mm -hmm. um, and that could have been a prime opportunity um, for the government to step in and provide some um, you know, state subsidy and support, mm -hmm. albeit on a limited basis, um, but very much was reticent to do that, very much looking towards the shareholders to, um, to provide the right level of um, uh, input and investment, uh, which they could only do for a limited time without guarantees. And then um, the company went down. So you have this quite stark difference between um, how the UK views transport and in particular aviation and how it's viewed uh, overseas. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I'm, I'm assuming by what you're saying, lessons could be learned by the UK. Well, it's, it's very difficult, isn't it? Because the, um, you know, within, I think the general population kind of wants want their cake and eat it. <laughs> Why shouldn't they? So. Uh, when we had the financial, <laughs> absolutely, when there was the financial crisis um, 10 or 12 years ago, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the government stepped in and bailed out the banks. Yes, yes. And I think they've been bitten by that experience. And for all sorts of reasons, that was the right thing to do. But there was outcry, if you remember, at the time. And, and it still echoes, I think, uh, along the lines of, well, you know, when times are good, you know, the, the, the bankers, the investment houses do very well. Thank you very much. When times are bad, the public sector have to um, and the taxpayer have to bail them out. Yes. And I think that really has hit hard. So when you look at a um, when you translate that into a, an aviation context and you've got two or three or four airlines that might be struggling, you know, do you bail them all out? Do you just bail out one? Do you support a different one in different ways, um, you know, or do you let the, um, do you just play the, the market forces card and say, well, the good times are there to help you work through the bad times, you know, the mm. tough, tough job, but get on with it. And it seems to be that's the leaning um, uh, that we're witnessing in this country and perhaps different countries take different views. Mm. Um, and for short term hits you can understand that and for shocks in the system um, when you start looking at longer lasting structural um, change like I think we might see with uh, COVID and pandemic uh, I think is a different conversation. And I think you know we have a bit of hindsight and you've talked about what didn't go wrong right I should say and um, what could have been done that wasn't done what would you say was done right? I, that's a really good question. I think the, um, well, firstly, you know, whilst the pandemic sort of um, really hit the nation, mm -hmm. um, I think it's incredible how much of our sort of national core infrastructure and operations uh, continued unabated. So uh, be it in aviation or transport, 
brought all logistics or local services, the bin men, you know, who worked all the way through this. Um, I think it's been incredible how those underpinning logistical and transport organisations have found creative ways to work through uh, this uh, this period. And we talk a lot, quite rightly, about uh, teachers and care workers and NHS staff. But I think the hidden heroes um, do sit in logistics and transportation as well, because a lot of the supply chain that keeps those other teams going uh, comes from a transportation and logistics background. So I think they need you know, a, you know, as high a level of credits and respect mm-hmm. as, um, as uh, NHS and care worker staff. So I think that's gone incredibly well. And I think it's really talked about the tenacity and the passion of these, uh, of these businesses and organisations. So I think that's gone incredibly well. Um, there are always lessons to learn around you know, the speed of recovery, um, always lessons to learn around contingency planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and for certain um, within aviation, mm-hmm. and I know it's the case in uh, rail and other transport sectors, um, being a highly sensitive and critical sector, a lot of time is spent contingency planning, scenario testing, mm-hmm. and considering all sorts of complicated and some might seem you know, unlikely events, so you can trial and test and repeat um, your procedures and policies. And uh, I think it's been um, a testament to that planning and preparedness mm-hmm. that um, these sorts of sectors have continued. Now, the scale of COVID and the way that it evolved and changed, and it was a, an invisible enemy for, mm-hmm. for quite some time, mm-hmm. makes those sorts of contingency plans very difficult because generally you would stand something up mm-hmm. for a limited, you know, few days, few weeks, a month maybe. Mm-hmm. This has gone on for month after month after month. So I think it's absolutely drawn on everybody's stamina and creativity. Mm-hmm. But I think they've done remarkably well. It's great that you've brought it up and that you've mentioned it um, here today at Head's Talk. Um, uh, uh, as a result of the pandemic, what restructuring, remodeling programs do you think will take place in the various airports around the country and around the globe? And you, you talked about the globe earlier, so it'd be interesting to hear what you say there. Well, as we were saying a little bit earlier, I think um, whilst the uh, pandemic has been, uh, been raging, um, various trends have been hugely accelerated. So everything around digital and digital mm-hmm. business, digital mm-hmm. commerce and trade, digitizing organizations mm-hmm. um, is really coming forward at a, at a rapid pace mm-hmm. and everything around uh, decarbonization quite clearly yeah. is taking a greater and greater profile so um, when the uh, when the pandemic begins to it begins to lift uh, whenever that might be and people feel that they can travel with greater confidence I think the landscape will be different. I think companies will have invested significantly in digital ways of working and having made that investment might be all the more reticent to put businessmen, business people back on planes uh, to revert back to ways of working Mm -hmm. that they've invested to um, move away from. Mm -hmm. And I think social responsibility and sustainability goals will have an increasingly uh, important influence Mm-hmm. on how organisations uh, consider um, international travel and flight and their use of carbon. Mm-hmm. 
So I think the landscape's going to be really difficult. And then within the UK, I mentioned Brexit earlier, within within the UK, we've got the further opportunity or challenge, whichever your perspective might be, of uh, of Brexit. And um, businesses, uh, I think, have been focusing quite rightly on the pandemic and to be um, sustainable through the pandemic. But once they come out of that, um, they'll be doing some quite hard arithmetic on what type of trading circumstances they'll be working Mm. with in the UK relative to Europe or the rest of the world. So all these things are going to have to um, to be worked on through. I'm confident there's, you know, a really exciting aviation and transport vision out there in the future that's going to be, you know, just brilliant. Um, but the operating model uh, will actually have to significantly take these other influences into account. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard, I'm not sure if I heard or I read somewhere, that uh, there was an aviation expert that said it will take, at least two years before the airways return to pre-COVID levels. So we've got a long way to <laughs> Well, and some say two, some say five. Yeah. Um, I think what we, I think I read, um, I read somewhere, it might have been the same expert actually, yeah. that um, history shows us that when there's a significant shock 9-11, uh, the financial crisis, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, business travel, which really is the mainstay yeah. of global aviation, always takes time to recover, always, always takes time to recover. Uh, leisure travel bounces back a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. And so it could well be that uh, <coughs> leisure travel and charter, air, uh, charter flights and the ability to um, go on holiday mm-hmm. will be rosier. Um, along with cargo, really before a business class travel uh, really begins to um, come back to the to the type of levels that people will have seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, but what makes these sorts of predictions complicated is that you know where we are today, the, the the level of new pandemic cases globally is continuing to rise again. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're travelling overseas, be it for business or leisure purposes. You know, what type of experience will you be having? You know, when you travel to the airport, go through the airport, sit on the plane, get to your destination, you know, it may not be quite as nice or what you expect um, compared to holidays or journeys in the past. And I think people are going to really weigh that up. Um, so the appeal of going somewhere and the, the possible disappointment of what you'll discover when you get there, mm. I think is going to be palpable. So it could be two years, it could be in some areas quicker, in other areas I'm certain it'll take longer. Mm. Um, okay, um, let's um, look at the way forward and uh, at what happens next. Um, you know, Churchill once said, um, never let a good crisis go to waste. So <laughs> is this pandemic, though disastrous to the transportation industry, uh, an opportunity to implement some of the changes needed that was put on the back burner, but now you've got a chance to implement such changes. If yes, what are they? You've talked about some of them, but if there's anything that you've not mentioned that you'd like to sort of add to, to answer this question. So I, I think the, um, you've seen individual organizations take um, specific tactical measures. So um, in some airlines, for example, they brought forward the retirement of their older fleet that were, 
mm. um, significantly less um, carbon sensitive. Uh, so brought forward and accelerated some of those plans. Uh, and I think um, there's been a deep review in many businesses of um, some long-standing contractual arrangements between uh, the businesses and their staff, which I know has generated um, union and staff unrest in a number of companies. Uh, I think why this is taking us is um, operating models and business models that will be simply more agile. Um, in aviation, in transportation, it's a very capital intensive business. And there's a lot of things that would suggest that you go at a slow and meticulous pace because the assets frankly don't move very fast or very far, the fixed assets that is of course. Mm -hmm. um, but when you think of the agility or the mindsets of senior managers, the ability to um, quickly recalibrate and up the pace when we look at digital challenges, cyber challenges, environmental challenges, diversity challenges, uh, inclusivity challenges. Um, you can't simply work at a fixed asset speed. You need to work at the type of speed that society expects. Mm -hmm. So I think where this is gonna take us is a much greater level of corporate agility, I think sensitivity to these wider issues. Uh, and greater engagement um, with, uh, with wider society. That all sounds rather broad brushed, um, but um, as you say, Churchill said, you've got to make the most of a good crisis. Mm -hmm. and, and this is the, these are the next crisis issues that we need to engage with. Yeah. Yeah. All right, okay. Um, I doubt this can be achieved, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Is it, is, it <laughs> is it possible to be prepared for another pandemic in the future, or are you at the mercy of it? It would be um, dreadful, truly dreadful to think that we've gone through a year's worth of pandemic and whatever else is yet to come, and we haven't learned the lessons. Um, I think the, and there's talk about an inquiry to, to follow mm -hmm. um, once the dust begins to settle. Um, there certainly are things that, um, that we need to take away. I mean, for example, on a national scale, um, simply not testing to the level that was necessary um, was, was, I think, a, a key mistake. I think the Prime Minister has reflected on that uh, himself. And um, from a transportation perspective, um, I think uh, we would echo that the more confidence that can be given to uh, businesses, the travelling public, um, to society, the better and things like proactive testing, mm -hmm. um, uh, I think would probably be the, the biggest the biggest gain that we can achieve because once you've got testing, once you've got results, you then begin to really manage and measure more efficiently mm -hmm. um, impending changes that might that might come, and then you can start marshalling your resources in an effective way. It feels to me we we went into this pandemic. Um, simply not with the right tools to do the job. And we've developed those in due course. Um, and I think we should just make sure that they're sustained going forward. So absolutely having really good tests, really good testing regime, um, I think is number one. And then um, at every level, whether it's at a national level or local community or business level, um, a continuing culture of collaboration and contingency planning uh, for these sorts of events. I'd love to imagine, I think we'd all love to imagine that this is a 
say once in a lifetime, um, you know, or once, you know, or many lifetimes experience. I mean, sadly, uh, I think COVID is here to stay and the mutations that seem to be prevalent might mean that there could be um, many more waves yet to come. So um, we need to, um, you know, stir our metal and uh, continue to up our game. Oh dear. Oh. <laughs> I know, I know, I Yes, I know. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that's not the last question because I don't want to end on such a depressing <laughs> note. <laughs> um, okay, um, pre-COVID, Heathrow was uh, the busiest airport in Europe. Um, the airports around the UK were fairly busy yeah, with heavy traffic flow and people activities. How do you think that will change? What will that look like in the coming years? You touched upon that. So, you know, if you want to repeat that, there's no problem. Um, what will be brought in and implemented for traffic management, safety and, and customer experience? What do you think? I think the, um, we, we talked about the, uh, the sorts of changes that have been happening whilst COVID's um, been at large. So greater digitization, Brexit, of course, um, the greater sensitivity and focus on decarbonisation. I think the other thing, when we start considering, um, you know, southeast traffic relative to the rest of the country, is the government's levelling up agenda, and you're seeing uh, incrementally you know, government departments and other businesses beginning to shift their locus from London to the you know the Red Wall or other parts of the country, and. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, I wouldn't be surprised at all mm. if there's um, a gradual shift to encourage more regional airports expansion and developments um, to help that levelling up agenda um, at the same time as increasingly maturing Heathrow and Gatwick and Stansted airports. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the expansion strategy was very much pivoted around, you know, what can happen in the southeast. Mm. It seems to be the levelling up strategy is well, what can we do elsewhere that doesn't create such a bottleneck in the southeast? Mm. So I think maybe over time, uh, probably starting quite soon, there'll be greater encouragement for more regional growth uh, above um, southeast-driven growth. Mm. Um, I, I, I just want to quickly touch upon a point that you, you mentioned and it just made me think of something just with the business traveling and business travelers um it, you take biggest hits and for a after a major disaster they're the longest to get back into the swing mm. of things. and you said it happened for 9-11 it happened for the various disastrous incidents i think covid is quite correct me if i'm wrong covid is quite different because covid is came at a time when um zoom technology as much yep. better than it's been beforehand and people are having e-conferences zoom calls and they don't feel necessarily need to fly globally for these business meetings so do you think that's going to be another big concern is there going to be a new sort of marketing pr drive to get business travelers back whereas they never really had to do that before after 9-11 because after a while it was a case of this is what we need to do the technology wasn't there for them to have this kind of conference calls so what do you say on that term peter no, I think you're right. I think um, after all of these shocks, and we mentioned 9-11, we've mentioned uh, the financial crisis, and we've mm -hmm. now mentioned COVID, it makes businesses reflect very deeply about um, you know, the, the talent that they have and the best use of that talent. Mm -hmm. And how do you protect it? Uh, and having people you know, up in the air or traveling the globe 
um, for extensive periods may not be the best way of deploying that talent. So if you've invested in digital technologies and we've had a year's worth, yes. more than a year's worth of getting very familiar with its, its trials and tribulations, uh, even becoming relatively expert in how to actually mm. apply it, you can see a lot of businesses saying, well, you know, just draw back on your levels yeah. of, uh, of travel. Just continue to use the tools that you've been using for the last 12 months or more. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine mm-hmm. that um, levels of travel, business travel in particular, will mm-hmm. reduce. Yeah. Um, I think the, the, what would weigh against that is that um, business significantly relies on building relationships. And um, you can do a certain amount of that on Zoom or Teams or other products. Um, But actually, when you're doing a lot of international um, investment, a lot of international business, um, meeting the people on the ground, talking directly to the people who are coding your software, um, talking about the stories, you know, of how their work has a profound effect on the products and the services you can give to customers. And you can see their pride by linking their work to the, you know, the, the, the bigger gain and the bigger objectives. You can't really replace that with a Zoom or a Teams call. Mm-hmm. So um, bu- building that um, level of joint purpose and collaboration really will, I think, uh, lead to increased levels of business travel in the future. But um, but your major point, I think, is right for transactional work. Yeah. Why would you? Yeah, and I I I I I, I, I should agree with you. But there's a sniggling thing at the back of my mind. It's thinking the the providers of such services like Zooms and you know Microsoft Teams will inevitably um, develop their technology such that they'll make it a lot easier and it and it will make it very okay. Not so much difficult to distinguish, but the, the, the differences will be smaller and smaller in terms of the, in the, the person-to-person meeting and the, the use of digital technology. I just think, you know, I don't know, we might change the way we, we see things and how we socialize again. It's uh, quite possibly. I mean, uh, no, no, sorry, I, I, I agree. I think the, I mean, the, I mean, just building on my, my point a moment ago, uh, a few years ago, I, um, I traveled to India and um, there were quite a number of companies that supported um, our IT team with various services and products based out in India. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you can't underestimate um, the appeal and the benefit it is for me now to engage with a room full of people uh, and to talk about our vision, our purpose, what we were looking to achieve and our objectives for them to hear that and question that at first hand, for them to identify themselves in the work that they do with that particular vision mm-hmm. is almost uh, without price. And um, those sorts of interactions and, that, and the sheer fact that you've made the journey to go and see them and you're interested and you want to see what they do and you can explain how their work is so important to what you're trying to achieve that type of human touch, I don't think you can ever replace mm-hmm. with, um, with Zoom or Teams or these sorts of, uh, mm-hmm. uh, these sort of interactions. So, um, so I think international travel will always have, um, always have a role, business travel will always have a role. Mm-hmm. I think your principal point around more 
transactional um, activity, yes, I can see businesses still wanting to, and financial directors in particular would still be pointing at the uh, at the laptops that they bought everybody to say, well, we'll use that first before you start jumping on the plane. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. That's a very fascinating um, conversation I had with you today, um, Peter. Peter Kent, many thanks for your time and insight. Thank you very much, Lane. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executive decision makers and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.